we're talking about unconditional timing. And as we are, well, I shouldn't have moved. I, I, I want you to see something. Um, I thought of one of my favorite movies, this absolute classic where, uh, and it's Mary Poppins, where George Banks, the, the father of the family that Mary Poppins comes to nanny, comes in, his introduction scene is all about time, and I want to take you into it for a minute. Let's watch that clip. Do you hear me? Hello, Katie Nana. That must be heavy. Allow me. <laughs> what a very pretty hat. I feel a surge of deep satisfaction, much as a king astride his noble steed. Thank you. When I return from daily strife to hearth and wife, how pleasant is the life I lead. Dear, it's about the children. Yes, yes, yes. I run my home precisely on schedule. At 6.01, I march through my door. My slippers, sherry and pipe are due. At 6.02, consistent is the life I lead. George, they're missing. Spend it, spend it. I love that song. And, you know, the thing I'm making note of is that he has this pride and this fulfillment and, uh, you know, this confidence in how he runs his life on schedule. Uh <laughs> and talks about what he does at 6.01 and at 6.02. And there is something about us as humans that we just love to be in control. And one of the greatest ways that we try to be control is controlling our time. But if you live any amount of time on planet Earth, the longer we go, the more we realize I'm not in control. I'm not in time. As much as I try to get everything in my Apple calendar, which believe you, uh, believe me, I do. As much as we try to set our alarms and get on the road at a certain time, I'm going somewhere and then we spill coffee or I'm going, I'm going to do something and then one of the kids uh, didn't, didn't get their homework and we're turning around and going back. And you, I can name thing after thing of little things that block our schedule or big problems like a health crisis, like, uh, like a crisis in relationship. And the longer we go, the more we find that we're not in control of the time. And that is why I love to meditate on God's unconditional timing. Because I want you to know that two of the most beautiful names of God actually concern time. You know that you serve one who is called the Ancient of Days. And you know that you serve one who is called the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And I love the worship song, How Great Is Our God. And one of my favorite lines in it is it says, age to age he stands and time is in his hands. And so that's what we want to talk about today as we talk about unconditional timing. First, for you to know there's two Greek words for time, and you need to come ready. You got to turn on your mind, 830 crowd. I uh, hope you got your coffee because this is a deep message. Uh, we're going to talk about the two Greek words for timing. First, they are chronos 
and kairos, two different, so when you see the word time in the New Testament, two different Greek words, chronos means actual clock time. So we can just watch your, your clock, and that is the chronos time. You can mark your calendar by it. But then there's a second time in Scripture, which is kairos time. Kairos time, which means the perfect moment. It's a, it's a divine time. So let me just give you two examples. Chronos time would be saying, well, it's 9, 11 a.m. in the morning. But another way to, to uh, depict Kairos time is it would, it would be like this. It's time to tell my wife how beautiful she is. Thank you. It's time to marry that girl. Right? There are, there are perfect divine moments in which something transpires, and that is Kairos time. And the scripture says that Jesus came in the fullness of time. Now, here's what I want you to see in scripture is that there are four different displays of time. There's four different displays of time because many times we just think, oh, time's just passing along. No, there's actually four different times of time in scripture. And so the first is creation's timetable, creation's timetable. So where do we see this? Genesis 1. And God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from darkness and called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning on the first day. So God, in the creation of the world, set into motion creation's time. And it's not just day and night. It's not just hour by hour, but it's also seasons. Look at Ecclesiastes 3. We understand that even more. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot. So all of us are actually subject to creation's time. Anyone who's over 40 realizes that. But then let's go to uh, point two. So first we have point one, creation's timetable. But the second is this. It's the holy festival's timetable. So God shows us now I'm actually moving in time. And there is a time to remember me as you go throughout your days and your seasons. And so he gave his chosen people, the Israelites, and then all those who would follow after him, he gave them the holy festival. So I want to walk through these with you because these are precious and they have a tremendous revelation as you study them. So let's go through the festivals together. There is Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Pentecost or Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and Feast of Tabernacles. So I want to walk through these with you really quickly because you hear these, these different festivals. I want you to understand when you hear them when they are. So starting in the spring, the Passover, this is the foundational feast celebrating the children of Israel being spared from the plague of the firstborn in Egypt. We talked about this last week when Moses had them put the blood of the lamb over the door and the angel of death passed over. Secondly, unleavened bread. This was the feast which lasted for seven days commemorating the Israelites fleeing Egypt in haste, having no time to put leaven in their bread to make it rise. Then there's the first fruit, celebrating the harvest, what God provided. So celebrating the bounty that God gives. Then 50 days later, seven weeks later, was Pentecost or 
the Feast of Weeks. This was the, the other celebration of the completion of the harvest. Then we move into, there's, uh, I believe it's 135 days from the fall to the spring. You might have to check me on that, but there's a, a season of time from the, the spring. Then we go into the fall and we start with the Feast of Trumpets. This is where the shofar or the trumpet would blast, and it's a command for 10 days of rest for the people of God. Then we come to the, this holy day called the Day of Atonement, the Day of Atonement, where instead of feasting, it was fasting. It was Yom Kippur, a day of repenting of sins. And then we come into the Feast of Tabernacles, where the people would go and construct a tabernacle. They would construct a booth, and they would live in that in memory of when the people of Israel went on their journey, and they were sojourners living in temporary structures in the wilderness. Okay, you ready for something really cool? Um, we believe that Jesus started fulfilling these fasts. He started fulfilling these feasts. And so I want you to look at, if we can put that diagram up, I want you to look at these spring holidays. These spring holidays. So what happened in the spring holidays? Followers of Jesus, or followers of Yeshua, the Passover, the Passover lamb, when the Passover lamb was slain for the sins of the people of God is on that day, Jesus died. Jesus died on Passover, the feast of unleavened bread. What did that unleavened signify in the life of Jesus? His sinlessness. And on the day of unleavened bread, that is the actual day in the calendar where Jesus was buried. We move to the first fruits, that first harvest celebration. What happened on the first fruits? On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And then 50 days later, on Pentecost, on that specific day is when the Holy Spirit came and the great harvest of souls as 3,000 made professions of faith in him. Let's give God some praise. That is... Absolutely incredible. Historically, Jesus fulfilled these different feasts, and the people of God celebrate them all over the world. And then there is this season of waiting until we get to the spring. So, in his first coming to earth, Jesus, we believe, fulfilled the first feast. And in his second coming, he will fulfill the trumpets, the day of atonement, and the feast of tabernacles. Now, let me just say very clearly and, and very boldly that these are celebrations that the people of God around the world celebrate, but they were given to us through the Israelites, through the Jewish people. And let me just say one more time that we stand with the Jewish people that we love the Jewish people of whatever background, whether reformed or conservative, whether orthodox, whether secular, whether messianic, this church is called to love, bless, and serve in every way we can the Jewish people. God steps in to the time 
that he created. Now, let me move to my third point this morning because this is the third timetable that's going on concurrently on the earth. So we've talked about two so far. We've talked about the creation's timetable. We've talked about the holy festival timetable. But now I wanna talk to you about something interesting, which is point three, the timetable that's dependent on man's actions. Because there are occurrences and events that are dependent on how we respond. Let me read to you this, 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. This is, might be the most famous scripture on revival, but I need you to see the, the verse before it first. It says, when I shut, this is God speaking, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if, say if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, say then, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It is an if-then situation. God says, if my people do this, then I will do this. These are dependent on mankind's actions, specifically on the people of God. I need you to see this in Jeremiah chapter 20, 25. And though the Lord has sent all his servants and the prophets to you again and again, you've not listened or paid attention. They said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Did you see that? You obey, God's saying you can stay forever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with your, what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. What? declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting room. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and bridegroom, the sound of the millstone, and the light of the lamp. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland. Do you understand that it does matter how we live? It does matter that we obey the Lord. God's saying, if you do this, then I will do this. But if you don't do this, then I will do this. That is why obedience is so important in our life. So in the midst of talking about a series of unconditional, what I'm not trying to say is it doesn't matter, case or sera, whatever will be, will be. That's not biblical, right? It does matter that we obey the Lord because if we obey the Lord, there are promised great blessings for us. And, <laughs> this is awesome, and God has his unconditional timetable. Yes, there is an if and then, and then there's some things that God's just like, and I've set this, and you just can't mess it up. Like, it's unconditional, I'm in control, and really, you have nothing to do with it. So let me walk you through some of these, because these are really, really encouraging. 
First, we talked about it last week, Revelation 13, 8. Remember, we talked about man and woman in the garden, and they sin, and, and, and that God's not like, oh no, oh no, what are we gonna do? I'm, I'm total baffled, right? No, the Bible says in Revelation 13, 8, that Jesus is the lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world. That it wasn't man's uh-oh, and then God's think, 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 right? That's not what was happening. I was at a football game on Friday night. We get to the very end, and, and there's a few seconds left on the clock, and they're like, what do you do? And the coach just sat there going, think, 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 think. That is not God. He was not like, think, 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 think. Oh, I've got a great idea. We're going to do a Messiah sneak, right? <laughs> that it was planned in the playbook before the world began. The lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. That illustration was not in my notes. Um, this is what Jesus says about the kingdom. Mark 4, I love this. He also said this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up and works his tail off. That's Robert's addition right there. The seed sprouts and grows, and though he does not know how, all by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Jesus is saying, hey, some things, the kingdom of God just is advancing. Whether you sleep or work, it's still gonna happen. You're not in control of the kingdom of God. That is such encouragement to me. Watch this. Before the people of God did anything, there was already this plan. Listen to what God says to Abraham before he even has a big family. He says this, then the Lord said to him, this is when he's making his, remember we talked about unconditional covenant several weeks ago. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. So he's, God's speaking generations from Abraham. And he's saying exactly what will happen. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. And you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back there for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its fulfillment. I mean, the reason we read these things is because we get like an unexpected bill in the mail and we freak out, right? Or we get a piece of news about someone or something and we freak out. And you gotta remember the Bible that God knows generations after us and he knew generations before us exactly what was gonna happen and so much of it, he just said, this is gonna happen, so be it. So it is written, so it will be done. Are you following me? And if you don't believe it, then watch this. It says, now the length, the time the Israelites people lived, this is, so this is Genesis, this is now Exodus, was 430 years at the end of 430 years to the very day all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. How about this in Jeremiah? You're like, well, that was cool. That happened once. No, 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 no. Jeremiah, 
there were 70 years set for the Babylonian captivity. He said, you're going to be punished, but it's, it's 70 years. And like, I'm totally in control of this. And it doesn't matter what happens. This is what's going to happen. So it says this, Jeremiah 29, 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know... You know this next verse, but we never talk about that, that verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Like we love that verse, but we don't meditate on God saying this is exactly what's gonna happen. And then what happens? Watch this. In the first year, Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent. Why does it say that? Because this is not one of the children of God. And why did it say Nebuchadnezzar, I'm gonna send my servant? Because Nebuchadnezzar was not what we think of as a servant. But what we see in God's hands, his unconditional timetable, he uses anyone he wants and they fulfill his purpose and plan. Are you following me? Well, well I, today is a day, here's my two great hopes for you emotionally. One, that it would be one of celebration. Because you're like, our, our family has gone through it in this light project thing. It's been challenging. It's been a lot longer than we wanted. And, but we, we asked, like, Lord, would you give us permission? And he gave us so beyond, like, unanimous approval from the planning commission. Now, we still have to go. I think you know this. We still have to go to city council. But today we're celebrating because we're like, you did above and beyond what we, but, but it was longer than we wanted. <laughs> it was a lot harder than we wanted. Selah, pause, think about that in our own lives, because this is our corporate journey, but in your own life, there's times where you're like, man, this must not, God must not be with me, because it's been so much harder. God must not be with me, because it's been so much longer. God is faithful to accomplish what he speaks. In the first year of Xerxes, a Mede by descent who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to what the Lord God had given Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So you're like, Robert, if it's things are just gonna happen, why do we pray anyway? Because that's the... That is the template in Scripture, is that the way we partner with what God has said is through prayer and through fasting. That's what we did. That's what we did last week. And then what do we see happen? This is so amazing, is it says this in 2 Chronicles 36, he brought up against him the king of the Babylonians who killed their young, I mean, this isn't awesome, but exactly what God said, who killed their young men in the sword of the sanctuary and did not spare young men or women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He carried them to Babylon, all the articles. It says they set fire to God's temple. It's awful, awful, awful. And then listen, it says, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until 70 years were completed in fulfillment. The word the Lord had spoken by Jeremiah in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word that the Lord had spoken by Jeremiah. And the Lord moved the heart of King Cyrus of Persia to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put in writing, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of earth and he's appointed me to build a temple. This isn't an Israelite. 
for him at Jerusalem and Judea, any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. Time is in his hands. Kings, rulers are in his hands. Nothing can thwart the Lord. When God speaks something to you personally, you write it down, you stand on it. Okay, I'm not just saying whatever you wanna happen. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when God speaks something, it has power to fulfill the purposes that he has decreed. God is true. So then Jesus comes along, Galatians 4, and says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. How about this? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God speaks about it in Joel chapter two, and it says this, and afterward I'll pour out my spirit on all people. This is in the Old Testament, and he says that your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit. And then on Pentecost, what happens? He pours out the spirit. It says, when the day of Pentecost, this is now this is Acts, came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a violent wind came, and what happens is they start speaking in tongues, and they start prophesying. And then Peter looks back and says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'm gonna pour out my spirit. Now that's really cool. Okay, that's really cool. But I wanna show you something. I wanna show you something that Isaiah prophesied. Because it can be discouraging living in this world with the disease, with cancer. Uh, one of our, our missionaries is fighting cancer right now. Uh, I have numerous friends fighting, fighting cancer right now. It can be just so discouraging with, with family problems. It can be so discouraging with, uh, we, we look, I, I just read, this is so interesting, the uh, number one fear uh, two years ago was of um, a, a corrupt governmental leaders. That was the number one fear. The number two fear was a, a war with Russia. The number three fear was like um, uh, nuclear war. I mean, these are all things that can happen, right? And the, the pandemic brought such great fear. There can be such great fear. So I want to show you what Isaiah prophesied. This is what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 11. But with righteousness, he will judge. It's talking about the Messiah coming. Again, will judge the needy. The ju with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, and he'll slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his, his waist. Now, listen to this. This is crazy. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down. Uh, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hands in the viper's nest. There, they will neither harm nor destroy all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time and reclaim the surviving remnant from Assyria and Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, Babylonia, and Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He'll raise up a banner for the nations and gather the, the exiles of Israel. He'll assemble the scattered 
people. This is going to happen, folks. Watch this, Isaiah 65. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them for the days of the tree so the days of my people my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands it goes on to say again the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox the dust will be the serpent's food they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain I know I'm reading a lot of scripture but let me just read one last one so we get to revelation right that was that was thousands of years ago that Isaiah prophesied that. And so then John says, this is what's gonna happen in the end. This is, what Isaiah was talking about was a new millennium. What Isaiah was talking about was actually going to happen on the earth. And I saw an angel coming down of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon the ancient servant, he threw him in the abyss and locked the seal to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Listen to the last verse. The second death has no power over them because they will be priests of God, of Christ, and will reign with him for a thousand years. Men and women, God has set on his unconditional timetable, a time where Satan is bound forever, where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, and we will reign on the perfect new earth with him. Do you believe it? If if you choose to believe that Jesus died for your sins, you have to believe this because this is what the same Bible that tells us, Jesus loved me, this I know for, the Bible tells me so, says there's coming a new heavens and a new earth. And you will reign victorious. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. The evil will no longer triumph. God will judge it all and he will be in control and it will be perfection. And this is your destiny and this is the unconditional timetable you are living in. Um, and so with my remaining three minutes, and sometimes in a generation, you find yourself caught up in un God's unconditional time. And I was blown away when that happened last week. Because our tiny little church, this, this, this tiny little speck on earth, always does a three-day fast and prayer, just saying, God, won't you move? And this time around, we realized, oh, we're coming up towards our light project vote with the planning commission of San Diego. And so we said, well, that would just be silly to just fast and pray another time. Let's just align it for the three days right before the planning commission. And then all of a sudden, I started remembering, oh, wow, 2023, that 
scholars say that that is the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee, every 50 years, when God said, the land belongs to me. And it's a time of rest for the people of God, a time of restoration. where Everything comes back to me. And so we set our fast and our meetings all of a sudden are happening in 2023. And then we set our fast and we start fasting. And all of a sudden I'm realizing we are fasting on the day of atonement. The day the people of God are called to fast. The, the most holy day is when we started our fast. Are you following me? <laughs> and so I'm like, wait, 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 wait. This is the, the year of Jubilee. And then we started that fast. And then actually I started studying this because I'm like, holy smokes. And, and many scholars actually said that the year of Jubilee started on the day of atonement this year. Like that, we started that fast. And we, what we were saying is like, Lord, please give us permission for our land. And so we're fasting and, and praying. And I'm like, oh, Lord, flu. Like, this is like, I, I, I actually don't, I don't have a word that this is going to happen for sure. Like, we're just, this, we're just trying to follow you. And like, all of a sudden we're caught up in this. And then I look and I'm like, holy smokes, the planning commission meeting happens. And the next day starts Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles where you're supposed to be, people are supposed to go and build a temporary tabernacle. The day after, and sometimes you're just like, I couldn't plan that. We had no idea. We just got caught up in, anyone getting this? Anyone getting that, that God's in control of our lives, not us? Anyone getting that you, like, sometimes you just, you just stumble, you're just blind. Some of you are old enough to remember Mr. Magoo. This will not work in the later services, but Mr. Magoo, who's just stumbling around and then just boards would come in place and he'd walk through a window and it would just be, and that's how we are as the people of God. We're just stumbling around and God's just like, nope, it's on this day and then this day and then this year and then it. Do you understand that God's in control of your life? And that he's providing, and what he says, what he says will happen. And so we need to have joy and celebrate, and we need to walk in peace and rest, and then we need to give him all the glory. We need to give him all the glory for what he does. Stand up with me.